Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Let's Get Fiscal. This is an all-new money podcast from 7 News. I'm Damien, the dunce of the dollar, and I'm joined by our financial fairy godmother, Gemma Acton. Gemma, hello. Hi, Damien. That is absolutely not true, but I do think that a lot of people feel like they are dollar dunces. So. Absolutely. And there's so much going on with money and finance. It's always in the news. And I know for me, I look at it and go, what the hell does that mean? Right. And there are ways that we can make your life a lot better by understanding a little bit more. So if that uh, if that can help people, then I guess that's what we're here to do. One of the things that has been top of mind, top of the election, it's been all over the place lately, has been interest rates and inflation. And, you know, being the dollar dunce, as I said I am, I thought uh, we should talk about what interest rates are cash rates, reserve bank and inflation. So let's get started with interest rates. Now, we know it's a percentage that costs us more on everything from like credit cards to home loans, but it all starts with the official cash rate. So what is that? Yeah. So look, the official cash rate is supposed to be about as risk-free as lending can get. And so this is the rate that banks in Australia will lend to each other overnight uh, because that's seen as like the least risky investment possible. So any other type of debt, any other type of loan will take that rate as a starting point and then add a premium to it depending on how risky the person and what they're borrowing is. And that all starts with the Reserve Bank. So what is that and who are they and what do they do? Most countries in the world have a, a central bank. And the central bank uh, has different names in different places. Here in Australia, we call it the Reserve Bank of Australia. In the US, they call it the Federal Reserve. In the UK, the Bank of England, the Bank of Canada, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand. Uh, But they all have pretty much the same function. And that is to try and help run a smooth economy and to help create a prosperous society. So what they try and do is control the amount of money out there in circulation, because that can have a big impact on things like the unemployment rate, on the value of the Australian dollar versus other currencies uh, and, and many other things beside. So they use various levers, one of which is altering the cash rate because obviously if uh, money is a lot more expensive to borrow, there'll be less borrowing out there, so less money out there. Uh, but they, there are other things they can do to, to tweak it as well. But they are who we turn to for monetary policy the same way that we turn to the government for fiscal policy. And for a long time, we've sat on this historically low cash rate. It's sort of, sort of starting to come up now. What are the factors that went into it going down in the first place and staying down and now it coming back up again? 
When you want to encourage people to borrow money and to spend money, you push the cash rate down. Uh, So you generally do it when things are looking a bit tougher uh, economically and when inflation is really low. For a long time, which seems hard to imagine now given given the inflation situation, inflation was uh, far below where they wanted it to be because obviously we don't want huge price spikes. Equally, if prices start to go backwards, you get into a really bad mindset where people think, well, that's going to be cheaper tomorrow. I'm not going to buy it today. So people stop spending and the economy comes to a crashing halt. So when interest rates went down, which was around the time of the global financial crisis, it was because there were fears of of a bit of a crash, a bit of a recession. And so they wanted to make it as cheap as possible and say to people, it's okay, you can get out there, you can borrow really cheaply, you can spend money, you can invest money uh, because we're making it so cheap for you to do so. Uh, One of the terms that we keep hearing, and you mentioned it there, is inflation. It's happening all across the world at the moment. What is inflation and why does it cost us more? Right. So in simplest terms, inflation simply means price rises. And the one we often talk about, the one we care about the most, is consumer price inflation. And the way they look at this is they, they take a basket of goods and it's things that you would use in your everyday life. So groceries and uh, petrol and um, healthcare costs, transport costs, education. And they look at the price of of various things, really standard things and the same ones every three months. So like a 420 gram can of baked beans, for instance, is one of the grocery items. That's quite specific. It's very specific (laughs) because they they can't have that one month and then a 200 gram the next month. It won't won't be like for like. So uh, they take a, a bunch of same products and services every three months and check the price. And so they can check how much this basket of goods has gone up in price today, for instance, and then in three months' time. So that gives us an idea of how quickly prices are rising. And uh, the one we keep hearing about at the moment is is 5.1%, which is the annual figure. So that's how much prices in that basket have increased over the past year. All right. And what can cause those rises? What is the central trigger for some of those things? Right. So inflation can really come from two places. It can be a lack of supply, which means more people are competing for the same products and so are willing to pay more. Or it can come from too much demand, which which effectively is two sides of, of the same coin. But uh, if we look at the supply issues, where they start from, COVID's a really good example. You know, a lot of supply chains held up, a lot of um, transport systems and logistics systems broke down during that period. A lot of workers off sick couldn't get to factories. Uh, we're still seeing supply shortages as a result of COVID. We're also seeing, uh, sorry, the most recent one is Russia, Ukraine, of course. You know, they produce 25% of the world's grain. So having Russia, Ukraine not be functioning like normal, a lot of the world's grains have been pulled out of supply. A lot of oil has been pulled out because of Russian oil and gas as well. And hence, we're seeing that effect in, in petrol prices. But look at the demand side. So during COVID, a lot of people wanted to, to, to stay at home. Well, they had to stay at home, but they wanted to play video games or use their iPhones or iPads or or various electronics. So a huge demand spike for electronics meant that there was a shortage that we just couldn't create enough of them to keep up with demand. So consequently, again, you can see inflation happening because there's just not enough goods and services compared to the amount of people who want them. During COVID, obviously, we were all still buying groceries. We were all still shopping, whether online or still in person. We're seeing grocery prices skyrocket. What What is the cause of that? What are we seeing? So that's partly um, because of the Russia-Ukraine situation. Uh, that's not just having an impact because of the grains, as mentioned. And when we talk about grains, it's not just, for instance, um, grains that go into making bread or pasta. It's also think about chickens. They need to eat grain for feed. So it has a real knock-on effect through several aspects of the, of the supply chain. 
The oil situation in Russia, Ukraine as well is really important because it means it's a lot more expensive to transport groceries around the place. That matters in a country like Australia, which is really spread apart. We have a huge block of land compared to how many people we have in the population. It's also other smaller factors. Uh, for instance, the, well, when I say small, I don't in any way mean to diminish it, but I mean more localised issues like the floods that knocked out a lot of um, a lot of storage and also a lot of stores of supply. So that had an impact. And then we've just seen uh, consumption patterns change around the world. Dairy is a good example. So there's the appetite for dairy around the world is growing really quickly. A lot of countries that didn't have great access to it before now do have access to it and a lot of their population want it. So we're now competing with other countries who also want to buy it. So a lot of factors going into why we're seeing prices rising. And that's surprising considering how many people are moving to like milk alternatives and that yeah. vegan space. But then again, like the, the, those have their own costs, you know, yeah. like the amount of water it takes to grow almonds is, is, is enormous. So um, th- there's not, there's no free solution. Like people need to eat and the population around the world, although the growth rate is slowing down, it's still growing. So uh yeah, more, more competition. There's also been some criticism around uh, in terms of inflation. During COVID, there are lots of measures to pump money into the economy to keep people spending. Uh, we've seen the vouchers in certain places. A lot of criticism that maybe there was too much flooding in and now that's causing this increased inflation. How true is that and how much did we need to keep the economy going during that COVID space? Right. So the difficulty with the COVID measures is that they had to act very quickly. If you had all the time in the world to sit there and plan JobKeeper or plan stimulus checks, you might not do it how you ended up doing it. We know that there was a lot of wastage in the JobKeeper program, like billions of dollars going to companies that didn't need it, that were making record profits anyway. But it's hard on the spot to come up with with, with plans. And so we do know that the country staved off recession. So it was definitely right to put some money out there. You speak to a lot of people who run small businesses and they say, I literally couldn't have survived without that. We know that a number of companies going bankrupt was really low, which was also companies in business. That was also good uh, because we, we helped them survive. It is hard to fine tune and um, certainly too much money went towards um, some some areas like we, we know, for instance, like online retailers. The question is, did that bring demand forward? You know, Did we go out and replace our, our sofa and our TV and um, our dining room table in COVID because we had some extra money from not spending it from going out and because we sat there looking at it all day and we wanted to jazz it up a bit? Does that mean because we bought it in August 2020, we're not going to buy it this year or the next year? We don't know. We're still waiting to see that. But it, it looks like that a lot of that spending could have been brought forward. It's also been said that a lot of people both sat on their savings and also paid off a lot of their mortgages in that time. Does that have an effect on, you know, in interest rates and inflation moving forward? It has an effect on how the population copes with it. And so you're right. It was great. We saved a lot of money. The saving rate popped up to a multi-decade high of around 20%, which is a lot higher than it was. I think it was about 8% pre-pandemic. So we gave ourselves a great buffer and some people who were really on top of things even managed to get ahead and start paying down their credit card debt, their mortgage debt, so putting themselves in a much better position, which is good when we're heading into a climate like today. You know, we're in a climate today where wage growth is not nearly keeping up with the cost of living rises. And so giving ourselves a bit of extra buffer, if we were able to do that during the pandemic, puts puts us in good stead uh, for the period ahead, which looks like will require quite a lot of belt tightening from from a lot of people. Yeah. And also a, a lot of sort of mortgages out there at the moment. We know there's a bit of a housing crisis as well. 
Will there be a lot of mortgage stress coming up if those interest rates keep climbing? What are the forecasts in terms of mortgage stress, people that won't be able to pay back those loans? Right. So people don't always believe this, but the bank would rather save a customer than than foreclose on their house. It's a bit of a messy, complicated, expensive process to do that. And it obviously doesn't make a bank look very good um, if they keep on foreclosing on houses. It would also precipitate or, or potentially lead to a housing crisis, which would be a disaster for banks because that's how they make most of their money from, from lending to us to buy houses. So the bank will try and save a customer if they can. Um, there are pretty good hardship programs in place, which we saw a lot of people use during COVID, and I think it did help a lot of people. Uh, and there are lots of other tools they can use. They can bring you down to a lower rate for a period of time. They can stop re, you know, interest repayments for a period of time, so on and so forth. So it's certainly... It is hoped that there wouldn't be um, a lot of people having to, 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 to lose their houses over this. Also, there's a big buffer, you know. I think um, whatever the, the interest rate you're eventually lent to, whatever amount you're given, the banks have already worked out to see if interest rates went up by 3%, could you still afford it? And that only on that basis do they give you the loan. So, yeah, there are some people who, who, who lie on their loans, but on the whole, it is a pretty rigorous process to ensure that people won't have to give up their house at the, at the first interest rate rise. Fair enough. Going back to inflation, now looking around this area, um, I found the term hyperinflation, yeah. uh, particularly in relation to Venezuela, um, which has seen a yearly inflation of more than 2 million percent. Yeah. How does that happen and, and what does that mean for residents there? Right. Um, I think it's actually gone down to about 700 percent. Probably retracting a bit now, yeah. And I think it actually did get as high as 10 million. Wow. So it it's certainly been all over the place and numbers that we shouldn't even contemplate. We can see how difficult 5% is making life with yeah. let alone, you know, anything anything in the hundreds or thousands or millions for that matter. Um, every situation of hyperinflation, various countries have had it at different periods of time, is a bit different and idiosyncratic, but fundamentally it's really poor economic management. And if we look at Venezuela, it's quite interesting. Their biggest export is oil. The oil price crashed in around 2014. So they were able to sell a lot less oil. That impacted their currency because people didn't need the Venezuelan currency so much to buy oil. And so that made it a lot more expensive to buy imports from other countries. And so then the government printed more money to try um, and be able to afford more imports. That hurt the currency even more. Imports became more expensive. And we had this really vicious cycle uh, where the economy just went into free fall, which sounds rather technical. But if we just want to imagine for a second what it's like, it's walking into a shop in Venezuela. Nothing has a price on it because by the time you've chosen what you want or filled up your, your supermarket trolley, got to the counter, prices would have changed. Wow. Because they're rising so quickly. They're literally rising every second. And the end result of that is that you get a lot of black market operations, a lot of people trying to get their money out of the country, trying to leave the country because it, it's effectively worthless. So if you if you have the Venezuelan currency and it's losing value every single day, you're obviously going to try and get it out and get it into US dollars or something that's a lot safer mm-hmm. as soon as possible. Hyperinflation, I always think back to, I'm sure you'd remember having seen those pictures of Germany and, and the depression in the US in the 1930s, people with wheelbarrows of cash, uh, because now it's better because we can do it all digitally, but then you actually needed literally a wheelbarrow of cash to be able to 
pay for a loaf of bread. It was, it was just a crazy situation. And then you're looking, I guess, at thousands thousands of dollars effectively for, you know, simple things like toilet paper. Absolutely. And- Zimbabwe had that as well um, quite recently. And, and the problem with uh, hyperinflation, it's really difficult to get out of. It just it makes it impossible to live. Yeah. How do you start clawing back out of that? When you're, when you're that far in, like millions and millions of percent inflation, yeah. how, does, how do you think a government starts looking at clawing out of that? Well, usually there's help from other countries. So you'll have the uh, International Monetary Fund or someone like that step in or the World Bank step in and try and come up with a program to help you climb out of it because it's a vicious cycle. Venezuela would have been helped recently by the oil price heading higher once again. Um, But yeah, it's very messy. And obviously, while that's going on, a lot of your best and brightest leave the country. Mm. They don't want to sit around and and make their families suffer through this. So um, it really does not make where you are an attractive place, which is such a tragedy because, you know, Venezuela is a beautiful, incredible country, uh, but, you know, not not offering much for its citizens at the moment. And quite bizarre considering that there seems to be a bit of an oil shortage at the moment and yet they're sitting on all this stuff. Yeah. And- so I think things have got a bit better for them recently because um, because the world's needed more oil than it, than it realised. Um, but nonetheless, the, the economy there is still not, not in a great place. Just just on foreign currency, of course, like Russia has seen a lot of sanctions on its economy at the moment. The, the ruble, I believe, is virtually worthless in other markets. What effect is that going to have on their sort of economy, inflation, all that sort of thing? Yeah, so it, it makes it really difficult because... Um, Again, like whenever you're importing goods, if your currency is worthless, you're going to have to hand over a lot to be able to buy anything. And we have such an interconnected global economy these days that if your economy is, sorry, if your currency is worthless, then you're in real trouble. You know, you, Russia exports quite a lot, but they also import a lot as well. So um, it's, it's, it's tough on the population. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's not a good situation to be in. When we, were, we talked at the start about central banks, one of their biggest jobs is to make sure the currency is at the right level compared to other currencies. So you can't make the currency too strong because uh, that's hard for exporters. But then you can't make it too weak either because it's really, really expensive to, to import things. So it's a really fine delicate dance that central banks have to do to try and make sure the currency sits at the right level. I think that's a whole other episode. So foreign, <laughs> sure foreign currencies, yeah. foreign markets, all that sort of thing. Uh, very enlightening. In, in terms of Australia's uh, e- economy, inflation, we've seen unemployment rate is going lower, but wage growth slower. How is our economy looking moving forward despite the election? Yeah, look, it's, it's hard to tell because a lot of forecasts have been thrown off by COVID. If, Economists rarely forecast correctly, and that's not a criticism of them. It's just because there are so many variables, things that can change every single day, unexpected curveballs that can that can appear. Uh, it's it's really hard to to forecast. And Australia managed much better than was expected through COVID, so that was definitely good news. Partly because of economic policies, partly because of of success in in keeping the virus itself at bay. Looking ahead, the the forecasts are that it will take a while longer for wage growth to really pick up. Yes, it'll be slowly improving from here, but it's off a low base. And this is at a time when inflation is already roaring ahead. So if you are feeling that your money doesn't go as far, if you're feeling, hey, I don't feel as flush as I was last year or the year before, you're right. You know, we, our income is not keeping up with price rises. And according to, for instance, the RBA, Reserve Bank forecast, they're not expecting that situation to reverse for another year or year or two. So it is a good time to just think about what you really need to be spending on. <laughs> Sorry to be such a party pooper, uh, but yeah, it's, it's uh, certainly not 
Certainly not all guns blazing at the moment. Yeah. Well, keep an eye out for our Tight Ass Tuesday episodes <laughs> coming up because that'll show you how to save a bit more money as well. Gemma, thank you for that. My pleasure. It's we'll good to see think through you, it all. We'll, we'll see you weeknights on 7 News and the latest uh, with all the latest finance and market news. Looking forward to that. Likewise. Uh, and you can stay up to date with all the latest finance and money news at 7news.com.au. I'm Damien Huffman and this has been Let's Get Fiscal, a 7 News podcast production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.